Number 468, Stephen I. Engel et al. Petitioners versus William J. Vitale, Jr. et al. Mr. Butler. Mr. Chief Justice, members of the court, the court pleases. This case comes to this court on a writ of certiori to the Court of Appeals of the State of New York, which affirmed an order dismissing a petition of the lower courts which alleged, in effect, the unconstitutionality of the saying of a religious prayer at the opening of the school day in the public schools of Long Island. Before I get into the facts of the case, which raise, in our opinion, grave constitutional problems, I'd like to state to the Court that it's our fundamental and basic thesis that this is one of those cases which involves an attempt by the state to introduce religious education and observances into the public school system of our nation. Uh, this, uh, Mr. Justice Holland, this is a recommendation by the Board of Regents of the State of New York to all school districts, and it has been adopted by many of the school districts throughout the State of New York. The exact number of school districts that have adopted the saying of this prayer it is unknown uh, from the record, except that it is in a substantial amount of school districts within the state. Before continuing and getting into the specific facts of the argument, we think at issue here fundamentally is the government's role in the religious education of our youth through the public school system of our nation. To what extent, the question will be raised, can the state participate in the religious training of our youth? To what extent can it insert in its compulsory institutions prayers or religious observances? The instant prayer or the instant religious activity or exercise arose from a meeting of the Board of Regents of the State of New York on November 30, 1951. At that time, the Board of Regents, which in effect is the highest educational authority in the State of New York, issued a statement entitled, The Regents' Statement on Moral and Spiritual Training in Schools. This authority, which sets the educational standards of all of the public schools of New York State, and a statement I issued on that day, and I'd like to quote from it since it is very brief, stated simply as follows. Where is it? At page 28 of the record. If the court so pleases, Mr. Chief Justice. Where is it? At folio 84 said the unanimous decision of the Board of Regents. In our opinion, the securing of the peace and safety of our country and our state against such dangers points to the essentiality of teaching our children, as set forth in the Declaration of Independence, that Almighty God is their creator and that by him they have been endowed with their inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We believe that at the commencement of each school day, the act of allegiance to the flag might well be joined with this act of reverence to God. Quote, Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, 
our teachers, and our country. Further, at page 29, folio 87, the regents concluded by saying, we believe that thus the school will fulfill its high function of supplementing the training of the home, ever intensifying in the child that love for God, for parents and for home, which is the mark of true character, training, and the sure guarantee of a country's welfare. Mr. Butler, <coughs> I would like to know exactly what order of the Court of Appeals or what decision it is against which you're seeking review, from which you're seeking review here, and not all the rhetoric the Board of Regents may have disseminated in issuing something. We're not here reviewing what the Board of Regents did, are we? We are reviewing some specific act by some specific Board of Education. Now, what is that? Now, the, spe the specific act, Your Honor, is the local board's issuance of a resolution and an order to the local school principal of the school located within the board's district, instructing that the opening, at the opening of the school day after the salute to the flag, that this prayer recommended by the Board of Regents, and for the reasons recommended by the Board of Regents, be said daily, led by a teacher, in unison with all other members of the class. Have you been reading the prayer which is specifically required to be read? Yes, Your Honor. Exactly. This I thought you also read the reasons for it. Well, this is the specific prayer that is required to be read that I've just read to you, Your Honor. That's why I thought the court would be interested in hearing the prayer itself. I'm only interested, but that's the vital issue in this case, whether this prayer may be ordered to be read. Isn't that the real issue? Yes, Your Honor. In the manner in which it's read and the facts surrounding uh, the reading of the prayer uh, by participation in the prayer by the teachers or the state officials, which I also think is an important fact in view of Your Honor's uh, caveat in, in several other cases. But, but the reason a prayer may, uh, an order of a Board of Education may be constitutionally required by the state of New York, although reasons given for it may not commend themselves to us. Yes, I think, I think so, Your Honor. I think that's a correct statement of the legal principles involved. But I thought the court might like to be informed of the surrounding circumstances which are alleged in our petition. I suggest that more we stick to the legal principles in this case. If that's our business, the better for everybody. I presume you think that uh, that will throw light on the meaning of the prayer? Yes, Your Honor. It was, it was my sole purpose in, uh, in uh, reading these two paragraphs to show the court the motive behind the saying of the prayer, why it was introduced in the school system, and exactly what, they, what the state authority recommended that was adopted by the local school board. And did I understand you to say <clears throat> that the school board said that it adopted the prayer for the reasons that the uh, Board of Regents had, uh, had uh, set down? Yes, it, it adopted the state, this statement that I have just read of the Board of Regents and directed that the prayer recommended in this statement yes. be said daily in the public schools of their district. Yes, for the reasons stated by the Board of Regents. Yes, it adopted yes. the statement yes. of the Board of Regents. Yes, I see. Where is that? Page 40. Where is the resolution adopted? Yes I, yes, I think it is, Your Honor. Where it says that it's moved and seconded that the Regent's Prayer be said daily in our schools and that the Board of Regen uh, Education give direction to the principal that this be instituted <clears throat> as a daily procedure to follow the salute to the flag. 
recommended. Recommended, yes, Your Honor. It is uh, New York State has a uh, school system which local autonomies kept in the local school districts to a certain extent. And this was not a mandatory requirement of the Board of Regents. It was left to the local school boards to adopt or not to adopt. In this particular instance, in, on July 8, 1958, uh, several years after this statement came out, uh, this local school board, at a meeting by majority vote, adopted this prayer and ordered it instituted in the public school of their district. And since that time, to the very, this very day, it's said each day after the salute to the flag, led by a teacher or by a student. Well, where is the statement incorporating the regent's statement? Where? Is that in the resolution? Uh, there is an affidavit of William J. Vitale, uh, Mr. Justice Brennan, on page 24 of the record. Uh, on page 26, Your Honor, folio 77, the, the uh, head of this Board of Education states in an affidavit submitted in this proceeding that with such two strong recommendations by the Board of Regents and the State Administrative Officer, there was brought before the Herricks Board of Education the adoption of the prayer as part of the daily procedure, and on July 8, the resolution was adopted providing the same. Well, I, uh, well, I thought you suggested earlier that all of the reasons... Take it the same means of prayer, doesn't it? Same means only the prayer. Providing it? for the same, I think it that refers to. Well, I'm not sure, Your Honor. I think it may. may the prayer. I'm not sure, Your Honor. It may apply to the uh, strong recommendations by you the don't Board of Regents. Provide for a recommendation. You can provide for a prayer, but ordinary English doesn't provide for a recommendation. Well, it's our uh, position here, uh, if the court please, that this affidavit of William J. Vitale uh, does. Uh, indicate that the reasons why the board adopted the resolution it did was because it had adopted the, the Board of Regents statement, the recommendations of the Board and of I Regents in its entirety. that without the reasons given by the board, the prayer by itself would not seem to you to be offensive to the Constitution? It still would be offensive, Your Honor. Well, then why do we have this controversy as to whether they did it or didn't when the record isn't clear? Well, why can't we have it heard if it's a part of the background of the thing. And a part of your argument. Yes. yes I would rather state it, Your Honor, but uh, well, I, you I may. Didn't, I didn't mean to shut you off from stating anything you want, but I don't want things to be mixed up that are different. <clears throat> and if the board adopted the statement of the board of, of the regents, that's one thing. But if it didn't adopt it, that's another thing. It's opposition. It did adopt it by this affidavit, Your Honor. All right. You may argue it. Thank you very much, Your Honor. At any rate, after July 8, 1958, and in response to the order of the Board of Education in this particular school district, this prayer was recited daily in the public schools of this district. Each day after the school bell opened the school day, the students would salute the flag of the United States. There's no attack upon the students. Absolutely none, Your Honor. After the salute to the flag, that includes that was the Pledge of Allegiance. Pledge of Allegiance. As amended now officially and said as one amended, yes, under God. Yes, Mr. Justice uh, Stewart. After the salute to the flag, this prayer is said 
Now, we think that the manner in which it's said is also important in this case because it, the saying of the prayer, number one, is said in unison with all members of the class, participating. Also, it's led by a teacher in the particular classroom where the prayer is being said. And in some occasions, the teacher nominates a nominee or a child or a student in that particular class to lead the saying of this prayer. Initially, when this case was first started, both the saying of the prayer in the classroom and the participation by each student was mandatory. After the decision in the lower court, which ended an interlocutory decree, holding the mandatory saying of the prayer under these circumstances unconstitutional, the local school board changed its resolution, made the prayer voluntary, said that any child could be excused provided the parent of any child wrote a letter to the principal asking that the children be excused from the saying of the prayer. Subsequent to this time, a final order was entered after the school board had instituted the voluntary procedure aspect of the case dismissing the petition. And it's this particular order that has gone up through the Court of Appeals of the State of New York and it's present for consideration here. As, as it is now, the saying of the prayer is voluntary. Any parent can ask the principal to have his child excused from the saying of the prayer. Where'd you go? Well, the record is void, uh, Mr. Justice Clark, as to any request by any parent to have his child excused from this exercise. Uh, I, I can't go outside the record except to say that no child has been excused from the saying of this prayer upon a request uh, from his parent, because such request is not just not in the record. We have no knowledge of any such request, which we think is very important <clears throat> in a later argument, which I hope to make concerning the free exercise part of the legal concepts which arise from these facts. Were any such requests made? Uh, I mean, does the record show anything? After all, you made up the record. The record, yes, I did, Your Honor. The records do not show that any request was ever made to excuse the child from the classroom. There is some evidence in the record of one request that the child be permitted to remain silent during the saying of this prayer. And that's all the record says along the lines of requests, Mr. Franklin. The petition of a parent? The, a request by a parent. No, the petition is here. A parent? Yes, the petition is here. Uh, parents, uh, they're composed uh, two uh, people of the Jewish faith, one of the faith of the Society for Ethical Culture, one of the Unitarian faith, and one a non-believer. And what do they state as their grievance that they, that they didn't want to make requests or that that's a form of compulsion upon them to make a request? Well, what is, it? what is their exact grievance? Their exact grievance... As stated in the complaint, not outside the record. Yes, of course, Your Honor. Your, the exact grievance stated by the parents and the one on which we most heavily rely is that this practice violates the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment as applied to the states. Now, secondarily, we argue legally that it also violates the free exercise part of the First Amendment in that it has the effect of a coercing these children to participate 
uh, in this religious proceeding. We're adopting in our secondary argument, which I was going to get to, Mr. Justice Frankfurter, uh, your brilliant dissertation in McCollum, where you said the law of imitation applies and that nonconformity is not an outstanding characteristic of little children. And uh, that argument was going to make very strongly on the free exercise side uh, of our argument. As far as I'm concerned, you may assume I remember it. <laughs> well, I... <laughs> Thank you, sir. To get back to the to the saying of the prayer and the manner of which it's said, uh, it's still said every day in the school system. And as I've said, uh, children can be excused, although there is no not, no evidence in the record that any child actually leaves the room. And the participation by the teacher and the student. Do now, these legally, parents say they don't want their children to participate in this, or they? Do? Yes, they do. They do. Yes, well, that's absolutely. That's important. They don't say we are for this, but we think you have no business to do this, do they? No, as a matter of fact... Uh, uh, I'm trying to find out what is exactly the grievance of these plaintiffs below. Well... And I'm having a hard time trying to find it. Well, Mr. Justice Frankfurt, I'd, I'd like to uh, take one by one each of the five fathers and state each of their grievances, because each of their grievances are different. They have all... They all, though, have one thing in common, and that is that they say that this is in violation of the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, that this is an illegal use of state property, state funds, state uh, educational system to aid all religions, and or to aid some religions against others. Irrespective of whether the children may be excused or whether they may remain silent while the... Yes, Mr. Judge, totally irrespective of the free exercise uh, argument under the First Amendment. Incidentally, on the matter of silence, I gather, there's no question of... A child may remain silent. Yes, and also a child may remain silent as much as he may be excused. There is no direct compulsion by the school authorities compelling the child to say the prayer. <coughs> compulsion that we argue is subtle. By excuse, you mean he'd leave the room or he just stand mute? Well, Mr. Justice Clark, that's a, that's a, uh, you see the, the salute to the flag takes about 10 seconds or 15 seconds and then they go right into the prayer which takes another 20 or 30 seconds. So the child would have to, they'd have to stop after the salute to the flag, send the child out of the room somewhere, and then after the prayer was said, have somebody go out and tell the child to come back in. But the record's void of any such request. Now, in request. this school district, is this true uh, only of elementary schools? Are we dealing only with a case involving elementary schools, or are the high schools involved? High schools also. High school, are some of these plaintiffs' parents of high schools? Yes, now they have. They've been progressing along in school since the case started. Is this done in each classroom or is it done in a general assembly of done all 12 classrooms? in each classroom, classrooms? Your Honor. Each of what, 12 right. classrooms? Uh, 12 and, classrooms? And, and I think uh, there are 60, uh, eight, 12, 12 classrooms, yes, Your Does it appear in the record, I'm probably the only man on this court who went through New York Public Schools, and we used to salute the flag in, in the assembly. Does it appear that there was an assembly <laughs> In this school? Mr. Justice Stewart just asked saying... I'm not asking what is required. Does it appear there's a general assembly room in this school where the school is gathered collectively for all sorts of exercises? No, Your Honor, it does not appear. Of course, uh, we contend, as I've said, basically, that the saying of this prayer violates the Establishment Clause of the 
First Amendment. We rely very heavily on this court's decision in the McCollum case. And rather than go through all of the points in the McCollum case, which this court will remember, as one of the justices has remarked, I'd rather take Mr. Justice Warren's points in McGowan against Maryland, where Mr. Justice Warren uh, compared the facts in the McGowan case to the McCollum case, uh, indicating that there were four or five major factual points uh, in McCollum that should be applied in all of the establishment cases, uh, bearing in mind, of course, that McCollum was the only case that this court has established, uh, has held violated the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. First contention that we make to bring our case within the McCollum Doctrine is that the religious activities were during school hours. The court will recall in the McCollum case that this was true. The students were left out of the uh, uh, main classroom to go to other classrooms within the building to take religious instruction. Second fact is that there was a direct cooperation in the McCollum case between state officials and uh, religious activity. In that particular instance, it was a cooperation between the state and sectarian religious activity. In our case, the direct cooperation, of course, is the fact that the teacher participates in the saying of the prayer, leads the prayer, and cooperates in carrying out the mandate of the Board of Education requiring religious training in the public schools to this extent. The third fact is that tax-supported buildings were used to aid in the teaching of religion in the public school system. Uh, this was one of the, also, of course, one of the main points in Zorak, where this court made it perfectly clear that in Zorak, the tax-supported buildings were not used to aid religion or religions or to prefer one religion against the other. The fourth is that the children who do not, did not participate in the religious instruction in the McCollum case didn't have to. It was a voluntary on part of the parents to send their teacher to the particular sectarian religious instruction. Of course, in our case, the same thing occurs because it is voluntary that parents can refuse to have their children participate in this uh, religious activity. And finally, the participation, and this is the, practically the same as the last point, is the same uh, bec uh, because it's limited to children whose parents consent to participate in the, um, uh, in the activity itself. There's one major difference, however, between the McCollum case and our case, which we think makes our case more stronger, or stronger than the McCollum case, and that is the fact that there's teacher participation. Well, the whole premise, though, of your argument is that this prayer is teaching, isn't it? Yes, Your Honor. It's, you well, it's, it's, no, the premise is, the premise of our argument is that it is teaching of religion, religion, of religion in a public institution. Yes, well, have you included your argument to demonstrate that this is the teaching of religion? <clears throat> well, I, uh, it's, uh, I can only go back, one, to the statement of the Board of Regents, um, which had it as, as its main purpose, as I read to the court, that the main function of the inclusion of this prayer in the public school system was, quote, 
the essentiality of teaching religion. Well, didn't I understand the public you say before that even if uh, on this record it can't be said that that statement was incorporated in this board's resolution, you would still be arguing that on its face we must read the prayer as teaching religion. Yes, I also I would also make that point, Mr. Well, Justice Brennan. Have you concluded that, the, the argument to that effect? Yes, I think, and also, uh, Mr. Justice Brennan, there there is no dispute between uh, me and my and my friends as to whether or not this is the purpose of saying this prayer. It's it's consent. It's agreed upon that the reason why this prayer is said every day in the public schools is to inculcate into the children a love for God and a respect for the Almighty and. Uh, there's just no question as to whether or not this religious activity is designed uh, to bring the children uh, into a, uh, a religious activity, uh, which in the long run, uh, my friends say, will preserve the uh, religious and even Christian heritage of our society. Is that a bad thing? No, Your Honor. Uh, I want to make it absolutely clear before this court, that I come here not as an antagonist of religion, that my clients are deeply religious people, that we come here in the firm belief that the best safety of religion in the United States and freedom of religion is to keep religion out of our public life and not to confound, as Roger Williams said, the civil with the religious. I don't take issue with the goodness or the badness of this prayer. I say prayer is good. My clients say prayer is good. But what we say here is that it's the beginning of the end of religious freedom when religious activity such as this is incorporated in the public school system of the United States. If you don't persuade me that this is a form of teaching, does that end the problem for me? Why do you, why do you, why do you admit that it all turns on whether this is teaching? Was, was the flag salute difficulty one that it was uh, objectionable or... Coerced teaching, was that the difficulty? Or was it the difficulty that a vow of faith was sought to be cursed? Yes, Your Honor. Do we, have to go, do we have to decide that this is teaching in order to decide this case? No, it does not. We do not. I don't... Well, I thought I, you answered that it did. No, I said that's one of the aspects of this case, Mr. Justice Franklin. Of course I don't. Of course I know that teaching isn't the only religious activity that's prohibited. Uh, teaching of religion is the only uh, religious activity is prohibited by the... Uh, uh, First Amendment. I mean, you can have uh, endless discussion whether you shove a, a vow of faith into a pigeonhole called teaching or has nothing to do with teaching. No, uh, an act of uh, compelling someone to believe in a religious belief, I think, is also outlawed by the uh, Constitution. Uh, coming to the Barnett case, Mr. Justice Frankfurter, which I'm very happy you brought up at this time, um, and answering your question specifically uh, in your own words, you said that an act compelling profession of allegiance to a religion, no matter how subtly or tenuously promoted, is bad. But an act promoting good citizenship and national allegiance is within the domain of governmental authority. And I think that, I agree with that statement. And that's, if this, act, if this prayer, and we say it does, is an act compelling profession of allegiance to a god, but that's an illegal activity also, uh, barred by the First Amendment, by the establishment. Supposing instead of uh, this resolution providing for a prayer that the resolution had said there should be a 10-minute period of Bible reading 
led by the teacher. Would that be unconstitutional? Uh, Mr. Chestnut, of course, that's not the facts of my case. No, and I would, to answer that question legally and as a, as a lawyer, I would have to know a great deal more about the circumstances surrounding the saying of the Bible. Well, but let's assume that just... Excuse me. Yes, that's all right. I just let's assume my question. You just assume that just the Bible reading was said in the public school system, ten verses of the Bible. Your Honor didn't mention which version, the King James Version or the DeRay Version? Well, the King James Version might be question. <laughs> well, uh, I, would, I would say, I would agree with the holding in the Shemp case, uh, Shemp against Abington, which has been recently redecided in Philadelphia, three-judge constitutional court, that the saying of the King James Version of the Bible, which was the facts in that case, was unconstitutional as an attempt by the state to insert in its compulsory institutions an act of religious prayer. Well, that raises, that problem That's not the question in this case. Question. Yes, Your Honor. Quite different question in this case. Because this case Suppose is not the Bible, it's the state making up the prayer. Suppose instead of reading, reading any version of, the version of any one of the Bibles, there's a provision for five minutes silence, just silent meditation. Did you add the word meditation, Mr. Justice? Well, silence for purposes of meditation. I, I can't, I would say that that is not, I don't see any uh, argument uh, for its unconstitutionality. That wouldn't bother you. That would not bother you. Not as you state it, Your Honor. I would reserve my right to inquire into any additional facts. Well, I haven't around. given any. I've just... <laughs> Excuse me. How about reading the uh, passages from the Koran? Uh, I would definitely, without any hesitation, Mr. Justice Douglas, say that it was unconstitutional. Why? Because I think any religious act, any attempt by the state to impose any religious view or to engage in any kind of a religious activity if the purpose of the saying of the prayer is to compel a belief in a religion. I really, really of course, I draw a distinguish, uh, I distinguish between teaching religion and teaching about religion, which is a quite... I really ask you the question why, because you drew such a apparently quick distinction between that and reading another religious book called the Bible. Well, if the purpose of, of the reading of the Bible is to inculcate into the children a belief in a religion, I think this is an activity on the part of the state that's barred by the First Amendment. Suppose this prayer invoked some other god besides the, the uh, one it apparently invoked. It would still be unconstitutional, in my opinion. Uh, that's the distinguishing factor that this court made in the Torcaso case. This court said in Torcaso that um, the theistic religions are only one kind of religion. There are also non-theistic religions. The, uh, there are concepts, uh, religious concepts, which don't have God as their ultimate goal. Uh, Buddhism, American Culture Society, uh, Taoism, human secularism, all of those religions were mentioned by this court in the Tocasso case when it said that belief does not have to be in a theistic religion. It can also be a belief in a non-theistic religion. And equally, they're barred by the First Amendment if the purpose of their use is to use the state to impose upon or to inculcate into children a belief in any religious belief. 
I think the Constitution's involved. That would Zen, Zoroaster, Bhagavad Gita, any of the any of the uh, books that are identified with religious movements. Book of Mormon. If the reason, Mr. Justice Douglas, is a re- is a religious reason, if the purpose is to use the state authority to to promote one religion, regardless of what it is, of course it's unconstitutional. Now, I wouldn't bar from the public school systems, nor do I think this court would sustain any principle of teaching about religion. I think that's part of the concept of uh, public education, that all uh, subjects should be free to be taught in the public school. But when it engages in religious activity, where the avowed purpose is to promote religion, one religion, all religions, and I think this is by this kind of activity by the First Amendment. I'd like, if I if I may, uh, step a, go a step further in uh, discussing the free exercise side of the of the First Amendment, because we think that uh, not only does this set of facts or this religious activity violate the Establishment Clause, but also the Free Exercise Clause. We're cognizant of the fact that the saying of this prayer is voluntary, and that no one is actually, no child is actually uh, uh, expressly compelled to say this prayer. I don't suppose the fact that it's in a school makes it a, a distinctive problem, does it? The fact that it, was, it would be in the halls of, legis- of a legislature be the same? Well, uh, any, any, any public uh, institution supported by tax funds? Yes, that, that makes a great difference for, for two main reasons. Uh, or this courtroom, where we have an announcement every time we come in, God save the United yes. States and his arm. So I'm familiar with Your Honor's opinion, and you mentioned that in the Zorak case. Um, there are two main distinguishing that facts. That existed long before Zorak. <laughs> well, I, well, I remember Your Honor reminding himself of it in Zorak. Uh, yes, I think there is a, a great difference. We haven't decided whether it's constitutional or not, have we? What's that, Your Honor? We have not decided whether compulsory prayer in the halls of Congress is constitutional. No, we don't know yet. It has not been decided by this court. Is that case on its way here? <laughs> Could if, be. if it, it could is, Your Honor, I'm glad I'm not bringing it. <laughs> I don't see why you escape, why you seek to avoid it. It could be if somebody... Yes, Mr. Justice Frankfurt. As a, to it. Yes, sir. As a matter of fact, I'm recalled, I recall very vividly reading Madison's attack uh, on chaplains in the House of Representatives and in the, uh, in the Senate. Madison took a distinct position that he thought that the use of chaplains by both sides of the uh, House was unconstitutional. That would be a justiciable, not a political question, you think? I, I know, Your Honor. I think it, uh, it, it. I think you could make a First Amendment argument out of it, but uh, I would not. I'd rather not attempt it here. I'm sorry. I want to ask you anything. But I, getting back to your original question, I do make a dis, uh, distinction between saying a prayer uh, in the halls of an invocation, or God save this honorable court, or in God we trust, or uh, so many other. Uh, illustrations of our national background that take place in our society. Here there are two distinct uh, differences. One is, of course, that the public school system is compulsory, that every, every child is obligated to go to school. 
the second is, of course, its teaching. Its uh, vowed environment, which it said, is a teaching environment. And when it's participated in by directly by state officials, I think that uh, makes no doubt in my mind, and I hope in yours, that this is an activity prohibited by the First Amendment. Supposing this resolution, this board resolution, that said there should be a period right after the flag salute of, uh, for affirmation of beliefs, that those who believed in uh, God would, uh, should assert it, and assert it according to their own denominational uh, methods or and that those who were disbelievers or agnostics or atheists could assert their disestimation of such belief. Would that be, would that be uh, unconstitutional? Would this be said aloud? Uh, yeah, but everybody according to his own beliefs. Each child according to his own beliefs. Yes, I, I think uh, the argument was made in McCollum that uh, uh, all, all McCollum was was uh, letting each one go to their own religious instruction and assert their own beliefs. And this, and this court held in a very strong opinion, eight to one, it's just Tolan, that uh, the use of the public school itself, the physical use of the public school, to aid all religions, to aid all sectarian religions, even though the non-believer didn't have to go, was an illegal use of state property under the First Amendment. Mr. Justice Reed only dissenting. I would suggest the probability is you're not likely to have to argue one like that. Thank you, Mr. Justice White. I, I, I agree with you, <coughs> Learned Justice. Uh, on the free exercise side, uh, we submit to the court, uh, isn't this really compulsion? Uh, would the little child, or would Johnny, uh, leave the classroom, or would the parent be expected to ask the school system um, uh, to excuse his child uh, who may be singled out as a nonconformist. Uh, and I must adopt Mr. Justice Frankfurter's thesis in, in uh, McCollum that the law of imitation applies. Uh, little children want to be with other little children. Very few parents, if any, would want to excuse their children from this kind of an activity which it must be remembered is accepted in the large majority by the community in which it's said. The effect would be to cast upon this child's mind some indelible mark. And I think that it can be, can be sustained that, in effect, the children are coerced into saying this prayer because of these reasons. I'd like to bring up a case which is not in point, but which I think has a judicial philosophy that may be important here. And that's Brown against the Board of Education. Brown against the Board of Education has as its nemesis, or as core, a statement to the effect that to separate children from one another solely because of their color, solely because of their color, may leave an indelible mark upon that child for the rest of his life. It was suggested by this court that such discrimination, such separation, would not be permitted. 
isn't the same judicial philosophy present in this case. Aren't we, in effect, saying that if a child can be excused from school voluntarily, that we're taking that child out of an environment? Isn't, isn't that a... Uh, isn't solely because of a religious belief? Because he doesn't believe in the way the prayer is being said, or he believes he should pray in another way, or he believes he should wear a yarmulke, or he believes that he should take some other form uh, traditional prayer. Isn't, isn't that an unfair separation, which in effect could leave an indelible mark on his mind because of his religious belief? Now, I would like to, for a few moments, address myself to the arguments of my friends. My friends make three major arguments. Their first argument is that this case falls within the Zorak doctrine. They seize upon Mr. Justice Douglas's statement that we are a religious nation whose institutions presuppose a supreme being, and that the state may act to accommodate religion, that the state should not be antagonistic towards religion, and that the duty of the state under certain circumstances is to promote or to safeguard the religious heritage of our nation. They say that this prayer really is only an accommodation to religion. And it's not only permissive, but it's the obligation of the state to preserve our heritage. We say, of course, that this case does not apply. Many distinguishing factors occur. One, of course, is that uh, in Zorak, this court specifically sustained or reaffirmed the McCullum Doctrine, and the activity there was outside of the school system, not within the school system. There was no direct participation by the state in uh, the religious activity complained of in Zorak, as it was in the uh, McCollum case. And we also say that Zorak, although stating that the state can cooperate in certain areas with religion, cannot be construed to hold that it would condone a religious activity of the state, where the state itself composes its own prayer, and then it's instituted, instituted in our compulsory institutions. Second argument my friends make is the argument raised earlier by, or suggested earlier by Mr. Justice Frankfurter, Barnett against the Board of Education. They say that this court should follow Barnett because in Barnett, the Pledge of Allegiance was not stricken down. Only the voluntariness of the Jehovah's Witnesses was sustained. In other words, they say that here the prayer should be said, and if it, as long as the children are excused from saying it. Of course, the prime distinguishing fact between that case and our case is, as Mr. Justice Frankfurt has said, one is the, an act of allegiance or a political faith, and the other is an act of religion. One is barred by the Constitution, we suggest. The other is not so barred. Third argument that my friends make is that the petitioners in this case are in the minority, that they do not represent a cross-section of the community. 
They boldly argue that the majority should control in this particular instance, and that this is a case where the minority is imposing its views upon the majority. Of course, our answer to that is simple. We say that the Constitution, the very purpose of the Constitution, is to protect the minority against the majority, is to protect the weak against the strong in matters of keeping separate forever the functions of the civil and the religious. Finally, they make the argument that we do not object only to the prayer, but that we object to God in general in public institutions. An argument which I cannot accept, nor can I let go without answering before this court. My clients, four out of five, are deeply religious people. They come here not as antagonists to religion. They come here not to destroy religion, but in the hope that they can persuade this court and its long traditions from the Virginia Bill of Religious Liberty to Madison's Remonstrance down through the times that it's best not to confound the civil with the religious. Well, their standing would be as good if they were agnostics, wouldn't it? Yes, and also, as to the non-believer, of course, we take the basic position that the rights of the non-believer are as important in constitutional uh, history as the rights of the believer. Uh, the state can no more prefer one religion as against another, but it can't compel a one to believe or not to believe. Uh, this is our prayer. I'd like Mr. Butler, uh, earlier in your argument, you uh, started to say that each one of the plaintiffs had a different uh, uh, grievance about this prayer, and then you then you proceeded to say that they had one thing in common, and you told us what that one thing was. I don't know if you ever did tell us what their separate, individualized grievances were. It's not on the record, Mr. Justice Stewart, but well, I, I thought it was in the complaint. I thought it was. You know, it, it is not, except that it does say that uh, uh, generally that uh, the saying of the prayer and the manner in which it's said offends the religious beliefs of the Jew, the ethical culturist, and the Unitarian. But it doesn't go any further than that. We asked for a trial to develop the facts, but of course that trial was denied. Because I was interested in this point because you've now concluded by saying that of your five clients, uh, at least uh, four of them are deeply religious people, and I assume they believe in God, do they? Uh, I assume that's what you mean by, uh, in saying that they're deeply religious. Well, no, that isn't what I mean at all, Mr. Justice. They don't Stewart. believe in God? Uh, one of our clients is an ethical culturist. Well, you, uh, let's confine ourselves to the four. One of the four is an ethical culturist. I thought you, you have five and all? Yes, five and all. One is an ethical culture. Right. Uh, now, that, the other four. The other, the other three. One is an agnostic. Five take away one is four. Right. Then an agnostic does not believe right. in God. Right. And then there are two of the Jewish faith who, of course, believe in God. Believe in God. And one who's a Unitarian who believes in God. Believes in God. So, as to those, might there, is there a question as to their standing? All this prayer involves is the affirmation of a belief in God and dependence upon him. Yes, but uh, they're... They, it doesn't they, talk about a Christian God. It doesn't talk about a 
Uh, certainly uh, it does, doesn't talk about a Methodist or an Episcopalian or a Presbyterian. No, it talks about a he. Uh, it says a him. Right. And also it refers to thy and to thee. Yes. Uh, of course, in the Jewish religion, Mr. Now, I suppose there are some Christian religions who, uh, the believers in which might, might possibly take technical offense at that and say, we believe in a trinity. That's correct. Also, the Jewish religion, Mr. Justice Stewart, doesn't necessarily believe in a he. It believes that God is coming. Now, what form that God is going to take may be a different matter. I didn't want to embark on a theological discourse, but uh, uh, the people of the Jewish faith believe in God, do they not, Jehovah? Oh, yes, yes, of course they do. Yes. So what is there in this prayer, so far as the complaint shows, and without getting into a theological discussion, what is there in this prayer that, that people of the Jewish faith find objectionable? Well, first of all, you've, accept, you've heard my establishment argument. Uh, they have a standing, uh, even if it's not objectionable, to them, to say that in the long run this is a, uh, not a proper function of the state, because it violates the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. Their reasons could be projected reasons as to the effect of religious prayer by the public, by the state, on their own religions over long periods of time. Now, in the free exercise side of the religion, uh, they object, for instance, to the manner in which it's said. Orthodox Jews, <coughs> uh, Mr. Justice Stewart, uh, pray only in the synagogue. Once more, they pray only with yarmulkes on. And once more, they pray, some of them facing east. Uh, the manner in which it's said, the type of the prayer. Because is there anything in the complaint as to the manner in which it's said? I understand yes, the place in the record. Said. Yes, right. That's said in a school, uh, not a synagogue. But, yes, of course. And of course, there's nothing here and here requiring anybody to face to the north, south, east, or west. No, it's also in English. And the Jews only believe you should pray in Hebrew. And a great many people. A good many of the Catholic, of the Roman Catholic service is in Latin. Yes, Your Honor. What does that have to do with it? Well, I think that a Catholic, I think that that could be a secondary objection on the part of a Catholic to the constitutionality of this, of this prayer. One other question. How do you, uh, as I understand it, you have no objection, or at least have not objected to the, to the, saying, uh, to the uh, saying of the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag? No, I have no objection to it, Your Honor. No, I agree point? with Mr. Justice Frankfurter that that's an affirmation of a political utterance and not a religious utterance. Well, it, it now includes in its language uh, <coughs> the expression, one nation under God. Right. Now, what's the difference between that and, and this affirmation of a belief? Well, Mr. God? Justice Stewart, the, the, the difference I, I, I respectfully submit is that the general purpose and the general words and the general reason for the salute to the flag is a, an allegiance to the United States. Under it's God. A, it's under God, yes. But it's a political... Under God. Uh, it's a political... Under God, yes. It's a political affirmation. The whole tenor of the, uh, of the utterance is not religious, whereas the utterance in this the particular case is solely religious. The preposition under presupposes and, and implies a dependence upon a supreme being by this entire nation, doesn't yes, it? Yes, that's correct. Well, that's... Not a, a, not a dependence upon a God, Mr. Justice Stewart. Yes, a supreme being identified by the word God. Yes. Now, what's the difference between that and this prayer? One is an affirmation of allegiance to a country, and the other is an act of political, of religious faith. I don't, I don't think you've answered it, because... The... Maybe I can answer it better, Mr. Let me have it. In the words of Mr. Justice Frankfurter. 
Well, the, the oath of allegiance was differently worded at the time Mr. Justice Frankfurter wrote that. That's correct, yes. Uh, the words under God were not included. But I don't think I said, I respectfully submit, Mr. Justice Stewart, that that is not, uh, that does not change the basic De minimis? De minimis? Is that your point? No, it does, does not. It I don't think it has any bearing on it because I don't think that the salute to the flag is an attempt by the state to insert into its compulsory institutions an act of religion. I think it's merely an act of political faith in the country. Well, now, and I draw do, that distinction. What do you do about that phrase? I, I, that's what you haven't answered, at least to my... So I haven't well, it, uh, if, if this court would be willing to place a construction upon the salute to the flag, as you have just suggested, that, it, that the purpose is to, to inculcate into the children a belief in God, and, a, and the pre, uh, if that is the purpose then I would have to uh, suggest that uh, there's an argument of foreign constitutionality. But, but I don't think that. Well, what do you suggest that phrase means? Under God. One nation under God. Well, I think it... Uh, I, I personally think... Uh, of course, I can't interpret the minds of Congress and when they put it in there. And I, uh, I think it means a uh, uh, manifestation uh, of a, uh, the Christian belief in... Uh, Not necessarily Christian, is it? Well, I think it does, Your Honor. I think that's the basic reason behind it, but that would be subject to interpretation. We've had a flag salute. We've had two flag salute cases before us. Yes, sir. The the validity of the flag salute in the New York schools now before us? No, Your Honor. It's not before you. I'd like to ask you this question, apropos Justice Stewart's question. Uh, I hastily try to read the petition. Does the petition anywhere allege that any of your five objectors, any of your five present petitioners, object to the content of this prayer? Oh, yes, I find, I find lots of uh, allegations about objecting to the saying of it. No, it also My specific question is, well, take, take you said uh, the Jewish faith or some Jews they prayers must be said collectively only in the synagogue. Yes, sir. But it doesn't say that Petitioner Steve My Angle is an Orthodox Jew. He says he's a member of the Jewish faith. And I don't suppose you deny that many services in many synagogues throughout this country are entirely in the English language. No, of course, Your Honor. So, and many services in the Catholic faith are in the English language also. Well, that's <coughs> one of the controversial questions that I've been reading lately in regard to what the Pope will allow or won't allow. But as for Stephen I. Engel, it doesn't say that it offends his religious convictions or beliefs that this collective prayer is said in a classroom rather than a synagogue. Now, there is there an allegation May that its content, namely the meaning, not the saying of it, the meaning, I'm not saying it isn't. I'd just like to be referred to it. Your Honor, please. Uh, folio 44 at page 15. Folio 44. The saying of said prayer and the manner and setting in which it is said constitutes the teaching of religion. It is contrary to religion and religious practices of a substantial number of other parents. Now, uh, 
if I, if I, unless I, unless I have your guidance to the contrary, the saying and the manner and setting in which it is said constitutes the teaching of religion. I want to know if anywhere there's any kind of clear statement who of your petitioners is or are offended by the, by the, what is said, not the fact that it is said. Yes, I see you're on. I, I, I would like to make uh, this distinction, and I think uh, uh, Your Honor has uh, uh, pointed to something which is important here. Um, we don't claim, Mr. Justice Frankfurter, that the prayer is unconstitutional. A prayer, in our opinion, cannot be unconstitutional. No legal significance, no legal interpretation. Well, but uh, all we say is. I may interrupt the whole. Not the whole, but the basic problem with reference to the reading of the Bible, the question that Justice Harlan asked you about, turns on the fact that to, uh, to one of the important, one of the major religious beliefs in this country, rejects the J King James Version, and yes. therefore to subject children. I'm not expressing an opinion on that. I'm just stating what the view is. Therefore, to subject children to the reading of the King James Version, the New English, uh, the New English Testament, is subjecting them to, to religious utterances contrary to their faith, because they have a different authorized version, namely the Catholic Bible. Right. But that is so that there is a there is an objection in the Bible cases to the content of what is said. Yes. And now, I, as well as the fact that. I'm now asking you whether there's any such allegation in this petition. I'm not even You're saying... You're going to the sectarianism of the prayer. Pardon me? The sectarianism of the prayer. Well, I haven't said it was sectarian. All no, I but the sectarianism of the prayer, as I understand Your Honor's question. Not sectarianism, but difference. I'm not choosing here between different religious beliefs. The point of the Catholic parents and the... In, in the Bible controversies is that their children, their authoritative, ecclesiastically ordained, official, if I may use that adjective, Bible, is a Jewish, not the King James Version, however beautiful that may be. And therefore, you make Catholic children listen to formulations that they reject. Correct. That's also true in our case. Well, now point that out in the, in the petition. Because the prayer itself, uh, Mr. Justice Frankfurter, is a theistic prayer. And we have two well, of our clients who believe in non-theistic religions. And this is an attempt to, put, to force down the throats of believers in non-theistic religion, a theistic prayer, and in that sense, the content of the prayer is objectionable. How many of your petitioners are non-theists? Two. All right, then you can speak for those two. But Mr. Engel is in that position. Well, he says that the manner in which it's said in the Matter study... Matter isn't matter. I'm sorry, Your Honor, I can't, I can't say that, this, that the prayer itself is unconstitutional. Right. It has to be taken in, in, in the context in which it's used by the state, the manner in which it's said, and how <coughs> it's said, and the whole factual pattern. Well, Mr. I, Butler, you, uh, I'm still puzzled whether how much of your argument rests basically on the notion that this is teaching religion. You said earlier, I think, that uh, you answered me first that it, much of it did, and then later you withdrew that. 
Well, I say that our argument is equally important to, for two reasons. One is that the prayer is, re, is religious teaching in the school and admitted by, by my friends. Well, now, in that respect, how do you differ uh, God saved the United States in this honorable court? Because that's not the teaching of religion. That's not an, an attempt by the state to use its power and its systems and its great authority because it's not in the school room. to inculcate into children a teaching of a religious well, concepts. Well, come back basically that your argument does rest on the proposition that this prayer is the teaching. That's one okay. argument. That's one half. The other half, of course, Mr. Justice Brennan, is that this is a religious practice, and that is equally barred. Well, that, under the free exercise of the establishment. Under the establishment clause of the First Amendment. This is a ritual-based prayer said in a ritual. It's a practice of religion, we say, in state-owned institutions, led by leaders of the state. But because it's a school. But because, in this particular instance, because it's a school, yes, yes. And what you're saying, Mr. Butler, if I understand your argument, if there were a school in which, conceitedly, every member of the school was a was a communicant of the Episcopal Protestant Church, and the Lord's Prayer, as sanctioned by that church, were required to be uttered at a morning assembly, a devout Episcopal, Episcopalian parent could object to having that prayer said. He would have legal standing to object to it. Yes, sir. Although it's precisely the prayer that is uttered in the petitioner's, that petitioner's church every Sunday morning. Yes, Your Honor. That violates the establishment right. side of the First Amendment. Now you get down to a real legal problem. One last question, Mr. Butler. Suppose uh, this prayer in the schoolroom where God saved the United States in the school. It's, it's Your Honor's uh, interpretation that that is a prayer. It's not my interpretation of anything. I'm trying to find out... You said that the prayer. Your argument. You said that the prayer which you said followed up the salute of the flag instead of with this prayer, right? With each children in unison saying, "God save the United States in the school." I, I would first have to determine in order to answer your questions. The same. Everything's exactly the same as it is in this case. You mean there's a except there's that a, instead of this. Prayer, the, the one that I prayer and, that, and, I, and the state, state authorities have said that the reason why we think everything they should is go into exactly the same. religion. Everything's exactly the same as it is in this case, except that's what's said by the children instead of the region's prayer. I, I would I would have to say if, uh, as in this case, the purpose is to inculcate into the children a love for God and to have a, a the teaching of religion in the schools that I would have to say would be unconstitutional right, under the First Amendment. you do come back, that this is teaching religion. No, I do not, Your Honor. I come back, one, to its teaching religion, and two, that, it, that this goes further than your hypothetical question, in that it is a religious practice. It's an act of reverence to, a, to the God. It's, it's, man's, it's, it's man's holding his hands together in an act of prayer. It's a religious ritual, a religious activity, which is also barred by the First Amendment. And I can't abandon that argument, Mr. Justice Brennan. Where is your conclusion? Is your ultimate position that our public schools 
I'm going to ask you a, a, a question that requires some candor on your part. And I can see that it's the duty of lawyers to have candor about their position. I hope is, I... It, is it your position that our public schools, by virtue of our constitutions, are frankly secular institutions? Absolutely, yes. I say that our public institutions, the, the public I didn't say public institutions. Our public, the public school public system, school. the public school system can never be used by the state for religious purposes. I think that that avenue is wisely barred too, Mr. Justice Frankfurter, by men of great foresight in an attempt to protect religious freedom in the long run of us all. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. Mr. Dacre. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. I would at the outset explain that I am representing the Board of Education, which adopted the resolution instituting the Regent's Prayer as a part of the daily opening exercise. Mr. Chandler here is dividing his time, and I'm dividing my time with him. He is representing a group of taxpayers and interested parents within the school district, having children now attending there, who likewise feel that the prayer is sound and the saying of it is not unconstitutional. Is there any question in this case about standing of these people? No, sir. I would first of all correct any impression that may have been left during Mr. Justice Stewart's inquiry as to what the prayer says, because we heard that it included the words he and him. And for clarity, we should again refer to it as reading. Well, Mr. Dacre, you're not urging any question of standing, but I take it that's something we have to decide, isn't it? Standing as to the petitioners and the intervenor respondents. As to the petitioners. There has been no question raised about that by either side, Your Honor. Was any question raised in the New York courts? No, sir. The petitioners at the outset of this proceeding have had children in school and now do. And they're taxpayers. And are taxpayers. Does New York, under New York law, would they have standing if they were sued only as taxpayers? Well, then, of course, we would get into Doremus and the question of pocketbook injury. I doubt if they would have a standing to complain unless under the decided cases they could show that their interest was specific. I think it has been said that where a person's grievance is in general with all others, he has no standing particularly to sue. He must show a personal effect on himself. This was part of what this Court said in McGowan. Well, some have said that, yes. Yes. If I may, I would just repeat this prayer because of the use of the language that we heard referred to. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon Thee, and we beg Thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. And I, Mr. Justice Stewart, specifically wanted to correct that impression. The Herrick School District on Long Island consists of seven schools, five elementary schools, a junior high school, and a senior high school. I state that to clarify in the Court's mind what is affected here. Five elementary schools. Five elementary schools, a junior high, and a senior high. So this involves 
perhaps kindergarten, but in any event, first through the 12th grade. Correct, sir. In these various schools. There are a total of uh, slightly in excess of 5,400 children attending these seven schools. This prayer has been instituted and been used now since 1958. At the time of the institution of petitioner suit, there was a single request for an excuse from participating. There was no request to be excused from the classroom, and to this date there has been none. We have heard the petitioners say that their case rests primarily on whether religious teaching is involved. Is this a religious teaching? And here is where my friend and I depart in our thinking. Since the earliest days of this country, going back to the Mayflower Compact, the men who put the country together have publicly and repeatedly recognized the existence of a supreme being, a God. There have grown in this country and in this world many branches of religion, most of which recognize a deity. There are people, however, who go to no organized church and are not part of any particular religion who likewise believe in that deity. When, therefore, we say here this prayer, which Mr. Justice Frankfurter characterized as an avowal of faith, an avowal which recognizes that there is some supreme power, some supreme being, we are proceeding fully in accord with the tradition and heritage which has been handed down to us. We know, of course, that in the Declaration of Independence, we have four references to the Creator, to the Supreme Being who gave us, gave us our unalienable rights. We can't rewrite history now. Those words are emblazoned in that document, and they will always be with us. Our colonies, one by one as they adopted a constitution, recognized the existence of an almighty God, a supreme being. And as of today, with our 50 states, 49 out of the 50 so recognized this. Indeed, if the court, in its review of the briefs at a later date, will examine in Appendix A, we have collected extracts from either the preambles or the constitutions of 49 of our 50 states. We will find there language quite comparable. One after another starting out, we the people of the state of Arkansas or New York, grateful to Almighty God for his blessings and, and acknowledging our dependence upon him. These are the constitutions which protect the rights of the citizens of the states. And in an effort to arrive at a prayer which would continually recognize that supreme being as part of the opening exercises at our schools, the words were lifted, if you will, from these preambles and constitutions and made a, a part of this prayer. 
So we go back again to saying, Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee as a paraphrasing of what appears in most of our state constitutions. I might say that this is not just my characterization of those state constitutions either. The court has before it now a brief submitted by 19 out of 20 states which have now sought intervention in this case. 19 attorneys general have said we don't believe that this violates our state constitution and we urge upon the Supreme Court that this practice continue. The 20th, of course, is our own New York State where a brief has been filed on behalf of the State Education Department urging again that the prayer be continued and that the saying of it not be held unconstitutional. Now, we're not unfamiliar with Zorak against Clawson and the McCollum case and the Everson case. And we realize the reliance in those cases on the words separation of church and state. We recognize also that in those cases, the courts used language which said, the state and religion need not be hostile to each other. It need not be alien and unfriendly, but that there is an area of accommodation which can be made between the state and religion. And this was after reviewing a background of how the First Amendment evolved and how we got to the words, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, which we recognize under the 14th Amendment then becomes applicable to our state of New York and to its smaller subdivisions, our school district. We recognize that that First Amendment applies as much to the Herrick School District as it does to Congress. But after tracing the history of that, many courts have said none of that language prohibits a religious state. It may well prevent and prohibit a state religion, but not in reverse. This court has said many times we are essentially a religious people. It repeated that in Zorak. But we are not trying here in the Herrick School District to teach religion, as my friend has characterized it, any more than as Mr. Justice Brennan asked the question on the prayer used in this court, and this is part of our brief. We have used that same argument, Mr. Justice Brennan, in our brief. Suppose the prayer used in the Herrick School District were paraphrased to meet the exact wording of the prayer of this court. God bless the United States and the Herrick School District. Does this make it a religion? And now we get down to the word semantic. Whether or not the recognition of a supreme being on a public occasion amounts to a religion, to an establishment of religion. We've seen in the decided cases, we've heard comment here this morning, that whenever a group of men get together, it seems to be proper to recognize the source of our blessings and our freedom. Even in our own Herrick School District, when we opened up our new high school, we had several faiths represented on the platform who asked God's blessing on the use of these schools. Is this 
a sponsorship by the Herrick School District of a religion or an establishment of religion? Or is this not once again recognizing that there is a supreme being on which we rely? We have had our presidents, presidents one after another so recognized. <clears throat> President Kennedy in his January message concluded with words asking for God's blessing on the United States of America. This is something which comes from within us, but which is ingrained in us from the time we are children, from the time we start to learn that what rights we have have emanated from God, a God, a supreme being. We are of varying faiths. We have, I presume, varying faiths on this Supreme Court. And yet, you find a common denominator in the prayer with which the court starts. We note that at the conclusion of the administration of the oath, the clerk here says, so help me God. Can my friends seriously argue this is a religion or an, an establishment of religion? We say no. Mr. Mr. Freiling, or Mr. Daker. Daker. I wonder if uh, it, it would be any difference in your mind if instead of uh, our marshal saying, God bless this honorable court, if we were to require every litigant and every lawyer who comes into this court before he receives any recognition from this court to deliver the prayer that your children in the schools have I'd like to answer that, Mr. Chief Judge. I just wonder. I think now we come very close to our Torcaso case, where we are now requiring, and I consider admission certainly to the bar of the United States Supreme Court in the nature of a public office. We are now seeking a religious test for public office, which this court in Torcaso said certainly was unconstitutional, barred by specific provision. I think you are now approaching the word compulsion, and that has been used many times this morning by my adversary in his argument. He talked about the compulsory prayer in the Herrick School District and stated that until the time that this came before special term, this was compulsory. Now, this didn't tell the whole story because from the moment the prayer was instituted, there was no compulsion upon any... I beg your pardon, sir. Do you not have compulsory education? You have compulsory, compulsory education, but we're now... You have compulsory attendance? Yes, sir. We have compulsion on both. But we're now talking about the compulsion that the Chief Justice was referring to of a litigant or a member of the bar appearing in this court and being required, in effect, to profess a belief in God as a condition to appearing here. And this is the compulsion I'm now seeking to address my remarks to. It appears in the affidavit of William J. Vitale on... If you have that, though. Page 27. Neither the Board of Education... I beg your pardon. Page 27, folio 79. On the contrary, the principals and teachers in the school district have been directed on our following the directions. 
that under no circumstances shall a pupil in any way be made or encouraged to join in the prayer. And no teacher has instructed the pupils how they are to hold their hands or otherwise conduct themselves during the saying of the prayer. I would emphasize that in view of the remark that this was compulsory up to the time that we went to the special term court in Nassau County. This was an affidavit reciting the facts as they existed from the July 8, 1958, when the resolution of the Board of Education, not directed to children, but in effect spreading upon the minutes what the policy of the Board of Education was to be. And that's as far as it went. There was no direction to the children, and the parents knew, or most of the parents certainly knew, if there were any question about it, that through their principal they would find, the principal of each school, that the principals had been directed that no child was to be required to join in this prayer if he felt it was against his religion or his parents' wishes. If it, uh, <clears throat> if it was compelled, required of all students, would it be unconstitutional? I think the compulsion would make the unconstitutional aspect of it similar to West Virginia against Barnett, where there we have the Pledge of, Pledge of Allegiance uh, claimed to be violative of the individual child's religious beliefs. Here we find unconstitutionality created by the compulsion. And this is what we think would happen here if there were compulsion. There has been no such compulsion. If there was compulsion, though, you concede that it would be unconstitutional? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We feel then that this would be a captive child, as was the case in West Virginia against Burnett, a captive child required to recite the Declaration of Independence against that child's own religious beliefs. We recognize this under the state education law, if the court please, in connection with uh, provisions for the teaching of hygiene. There are certain religions which do not accept the teaching of hygiene in public schools. Our law specifically makes an exception for that. And I think that the members of the Board of Education were guided by thinking of that sort that this should not be compulsory. We have set forth at the beginning of our brief further regulations which were adopted as a result of special terms suggestion, where there was an elaboration and a commitment to writing that there was to be no such compulsion and that any child who requested could be excused. May I, but, may yes, I interrupt to ask whether your answer to Chief Justice that if there were compulsion, you would find this offensive to the Constitution? Yes, sir. Am I right to infer that implies that the unobjectionability of the content of a required prayer doesn't settle the matter? The mere fact that, that the prayer merely expresses what you argue is a common presupposition of our national life doesn't save it, save its constitutionality if added there to is a compulsion to express that common faith of the nation, as you argue. Is I would right? so agree, Mr. Justice. So we have to go beyond merely whether the content Correctly, offends anything. Because here again we must be guided by this Court's own decision in the Barnett case. The flag salute as such is not unconstitutional. The prayer here as such is not unconstitutional. But if it is administered with compulsion, then we have an unconstitutional practice which the courts will strike down, but we suggest to this court not by 
borrowing it or abolishing it any more than we abolished the flag salute after Barnett, but merely permitting those who do not find an accommodation between this and their own religious beliefs to remain silent or be excused. Now, I want to ask you what I asked your brother Butler. Namely, in order to object what you say would be uh, beyond the power of the state to impose, namely to compel participation in such a prayer, the parent wouldn't have to say, I object to what the prayer contains, but I merely object to having my child be subjected to it, even though I believe in that prayer. Is that right? He or would, would, you, would you have to have a parent who, who also finds offensive, that's a bad word, yes. doesn't believe in the content of the prayer? Could any parent say, I don't want my child forcibly be required to say that prayer, although I think it's an admirable prayer and it expresses my faith? Any parent could so state, sir. Right. They could state that without stating their reasons why. Right. They need merely ask may my child be excused, or the child himself or herself may so ask. So from your point of view, from your point of view, the case really gets down to, from your point of view, the narrow question, or at least the limited question, whether the circumstances under which this prayer was administered, if you can administer a prayer, or was recited by the teacher, yes, sir. for unison, for, for the congregation, for the classroom to join, whether those circumstances differentiated from a frank requirement. That's a, right, a frank A frank compulsion. Compulsion. That's what the case gets down to. Right, sir. Right. The question revolves itself particularly around that question of compulsion. Mr. Justice Plank. When you began your discussion, you, you referred to Mr. Justice Frankfurter's reference to this prayer as an avowal of faith. I gathered then that you agreed that it was that, and I have assumed from what you are saying now that you do agree to it. Is that right? Agree to the words avowal of faith? That the prayer is itself is an avowal of faith. I would say yes, sir. Religious faith? Well, now we get down to semantics again. If it no, it's not. Question. No, that's not semantics. I think uh, that we talk about faith. Is it a religious faith or... Uh, faith in our country or well or? The, the reason sir that I questioned the not question but drew back on the word religious faith is because I also said that there are people who believe in a supreme being without it being a particular religion that that person may believe in but such a person could make an avowal of faith in God without being a religious person in the commonly accepted term you mean without belonging to a sect yes sir Yes, well, that's that's different from religion, isn't it? Uh, whether a person belongs to a sect? Yes, we we we, we think in terms a, of a sect as a, a person who belongs to no no church of any kind uh, offers a prayer to to God. It's a it's a religious devotion, isn't it? Yes, a religious practice. Yes. I would agree. And in that sense, wouldn't this be the In that sense, faith? I would agree with your statement of, as to this being religious faith. Yes. Now may I ask you this question, Mr. Dacre. Uh, uh, will you tell us, please, in your words, uh, why or, or what the reasons were for having this prayer, as, uh, as shown by the uh, Board of Regents or, or by the school board or both? 
Well, there is no doubt that this came to the attention of the Board of Education as a result of the recommendation of the Board of Regents yes. in 1951 and reaffirmed in 1955. Yes. That statement, like any document, if words are taken or a sentence is taken from here or there, can prove almost any point you wish. But basically, basically, this proved to me that the Board of Regents, and I'm using some of their language, was interested in promoting the belief in tradition, the belief in the moral and spiritual values which make up part of our national tradition. Now, this is a lot of verbiage, I agree. And if you gave this to a youngster, it wouldn't mean very much. But I think to a Board of Education, when this document is presented to them from the Board of Regents, they read this, but they make their own decision. This was not compulsory from the Board of Regents to the Board of Education. But you shy away from the, the word religion. Was it, uh, was it the purpose of the Board to promote religion? I don't believe so. I think the purpose of the... Of the Why do you say ethical, uh, ethical purposes and things of that kind, but shy away from religion when, when the entire wording of the of the prayer is in, in the words of religion. Well, I don't, I don't want to have the court understand my words as saying that the Board of Education was trying to teach religion in the schools. Well, I know you want to keep away from that, but, well. I'm, but, I'm, <laughs> but I'm trying to, to find out is how you analyze the language of the Board of Regents the action of the Board of Regents, the action of your school board, and the, and the uh, uh, delivering of this prayer every morning uh, without, without getting the question of religion. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can stay away from religion. Right. So long as you have a prayer, there is a religious facet to it. Well, was that the purpose Just of the Board of Regents in, in promoting that in the, in the schools? I don't believe their purpose was to promote religion as such, but they did, and they so stated, they were seeking to promote a continuation of what they felt to be the traditions of this country in which God is inevitably mentioned and in which inevitably every document and every pronouncement recognizes that what we have we got from God. And I think this is what they were trying to enhance and foster. They had no more desire to teach religion in schools. We, we give credit to the Board of Regents for being cognizant with their educational department legal division of all of the decisions of this court, and certainly they would not suggest to boards of education, individual boards of education, a procedure which they felt was flying directly in the face of cases which say religion shall not be taught in schools, as we I had in McCullough. I thought that was exactly what the lower court found that they did in some respect, and that you concede here now. Because originally, didn't they make the uh, make it compulsory? No, sir. This has never been... Com this is what I tried to correct at the opening of my statement, and may I reemphasize yeah. this, yeah. Mr. Chief Justice? No, it, was the, it was the school board that made it uh, compulsory. No, sir. The school board did not make it compulsory. The school board said, we hereby, in effect... We hereby adopt, if you would look for that resolution, we hereby adopt as a practice to be followed in the schools each day, joined with the pledge to the flag, the saying of the Regent's Prayer. But the, there the resolution of the school board ended. There was no compulsion at, 
It did not go on and say, and in addition, every child who attends schools in the Herrick School District shall be required to join in this prayer. But on the contrary, as I have referred to the affidavit of the president of the board at the time the suit was instituted, this was directly contrary to what was in fact the case. The, the principals were directed that no child was to be required to join in this prayer. Was that the original resolution? It was not in the resolution, it sir. Wasn't, that wasn't done until after the court had determined it that to is be correct. unconstitutional. But the, ori the original resolution had no compulsion in it. No, it said this he, is our he policy. It didn't have anything uh, excusing any child, did it? But that was the practice. It was the practice as well, there much. There wasn't any practice before, before it started, was there? Well, at that point, yes, there was a practice at least established by one child who had asked to be excused from joining in the prayer, and that request had been honored. What I, what I meant was this. In their original, in their original resolution, they provided that this, uh, this uh, prayer should be administered each morning. Yes, sir. They didn't at that time provide for any excuses for children who, whose parents did not want them to do it. And it was not until your, your uh, Supreme Court, the Pellant Division, uh, said that it would be unconstitutional to compel them to do it, that they then passed another resolution saying that, of course, they would be excused. Am I correct in that sequence? The sequence is correct, sir, but your characterization of the first resolution is incorrect, yes. if I may suggest yes. that. Would you, would you may, I, may I just read the first resolution? Would you please, yes. I'm Mrs. Hart moved, seconded by Mr. Saunders. This is on page 40 of the record. page 40? Yes, at folio 119. Yes. Mrs. Hart moved, seconded by Mr. Saunders, that the Regent's Prayer be said daily in our schools. Motion carried by majority vote. Mr. Freed voted nay. The Board of, Board of Education gave direction to the district principal that this be instituted as a daily procedure to follow the salute to the flag. Yes. Now, this is mandatory, certainly, on the principal as an employee. Just as I assumed someone somewhere along the line here in this court directed the marshal or the clerk to begin the work of this court with a prayer. That is a direction which is followed from day to day. Calling, on, calling on everybody in the courtroom to... Uh, to at least listen. <laughs> now, if I may invite your honor's attention on this same question to page 27. We come to Mr. Vitale's affidavit that I referred to and quoted before, in which the, he recites that the principals and the teachers were directed not to require any child to join in this prayer. There are many resolutions which are adopted by a school district which do not carry out all of the distinct regulations by which the policy will be carried out. The district principal in court here today has carried out the directions of the Board of Education many times merely by the statement of the policy of the board. But you are correct, sir, in saying that until special term issued its order, we did not further put this in the record of the district, as indeed we have many times not put all of the re exact regulations by which a policy will be carried out. This that's, being all, that's all I intended to imply. Yes. Yes. I don't want yes. to delay you, but you said not to join. They were told they need not join in the prayer. 
What does that mean? They didn't have to rise when the prayer was spoken? No, sir. No, no. The what children... does it mean? I was just curious. You know? Yes. Th those children who do not wish to join in the prayer, or whose parents do not wish them to join in the prayer, may remain, remain seated. They may remain silent. They re may remain seated and silent yes. while all the others rise and salute if the that, flag. If that is their wish. the flag and listen to the prayer. Yes, sir. Now, there are many times, I'm sure, in classrooms... Is that as the extent of the excuse that supported them? No, sir. They may be excused entirely from being in the room when the prayer is said, if they so wish. And we have had no such request to this date. Where, where is that resolution that points that out? Is it, uh, is it in here? As to the practice from the time it was adopted, we rely on Mr. Vitale's affidavit at page 27. As to what was done as a result of special term is in my brief at... <coughs> no, it's on my brief here. On page two of my brief, the, the respondent's brief, we have the implementing resolutions which were adopted in September of 1959 to carry out uh, Judge Meyer's suggestions. Page, page, page two of my brief, sir. And that is where uh, it is indicated in furtherance of Judge Meyer's opinion, teachers are not to comment, they're not to cause any particular posture to be uh, suggested, no particular dress to be worn, but simply a question of joining if they so wish. As I understand, uh, he doesn't contest that here, does he? I thought he said it. If he excused him from the room, none of it had to be excused from the room, so I didn't know where they'd go. Well, no, sir. No, sir. Do no. I fairly summarize, do I fairly understand the line of your position in the course of the colloquy that you've had a few minutes, that you, uh, you say it isn't teaching religion to take for granted that which underlies our whole national life. That is my position, sir. It's declared you don't promote something that you take for granted. No, sir. You it's don't a... promote the air which you breathe. That's correct, sir. This is an affirmation of all that we have learned since we were youngsters. I am... Is it a religious practice? Is it a religious practice? No more so than the saying of any prayer on a publication on a public occasion is a religious practice. Any group of men who gather together for dinner commence with a prayer. This, to that extent, is a religious practice. Well, Mr. Dacre, I, as I understand uh, Mr. Butler, neither he nor his, his uh, clients object to any such prayers any place except, except in the public schools where the children are compelled to come and where... They will be indoctrinated with with the uh, with the prayer as a matter of uh, of, uh, of training, and uh, <clears throat> where they will be held up to contempt or ridicule if they or their parents should want them to be excused and pointed out as being different from the rest of the children. I lost your question when I got to the end of that 
I got pretty involved, I guess. It, it did. Take it as far as, you, as far as you remember. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. When we, we get back to the word a religious practice, we refer the court, for instance, to the language of our own court of appeals, which along the lines that Mr. Justice Frankfurter said in stating what he understood my position to be. Our court of appeals says, whenever people gather together in a group and utter a prayer, a recognition of Almighty, as has been consistently done since the founding of the country hundreds of years ago. We f don't find constitutional objections. How then can we say that prayer is all right on any public occasion in a state paid for building with state employees except in a school? It can only rest if we get down to whether or not this is teaching religion as distinct from acknowledging publicly the fact that we have a God. Uh, I've uh, encroached. Jack, may I, oh. you sit down. Well, I have co counsel here, and I'm encroaching on his time. We have here a prayer for public schools of children between the ages of what and what? Kindergarten and. From kindergarten through 18. 18? Yes, sir. Uh, High school. Now, may I recall to you the will of Stephen Gerard? was a devout Catholic and founded Girard College for the Orphans of Philadelphia. And in his will, there was a provision set forth at length prohibiting that no ecclesiastic of any kind of faith should step foot on the grounds of Girard College, very considerable grounds. And he gave the reasons for it. The children there, the young people there, were up to boys up to the age of 18, because he thought up to, during that period of youth, uh, on the whole, except very exceptional people, faith, religious devotions, are not critically self-determined. And he gave reasons why, therefore, he didn't want any religious influence to be brought to bear upon the attendance of students at Gerard College. You will remember that that will was contested on the ground that such a provision in a will is against public policy for the reasons that you, your own language indicated, that you're essentially a religious people. And that litigation came to this court more than once. Now, what I want to ask you in the light of that rather famous historic episode, what do you think a line of that sort very important to remember that Gerard was a Catholic, a communicator, a communicator of the Catholic Church, buried in Catholic burial ground, etc. Whether you think the line, there is a difference between what you do with reference to children, if boys up to 18, certainly in Stephen Gerard's time, are still being to be children. Yes, sir. Whether there is a, a constitutional difference may be drawn with reference to the particular case we have before us, namely the requirement of this kind of a prayer subject to, to, to taking steps to have a, children, a child taken out and not consenting, but drawing the line up to the age of 18. What do you say to that? I think 
that Mr. Gerard was certainly entitled to his opinion. I think that the Board of Education... Well, if you forgive me, what yes, really that his opinion, because the, the enforceability by law of his opinion, because the will was contested as being against public policy. I mean, if he said that nobody can go there who doesn't take an oath, you'll never marry again. You'll never marry. That would not, I assume, that would have been deemed a provision against public policy. Well, Mr. Justice Frankfurter, if I correctly interpolate your summary of what he was thinking, he says that up until a child becomes 18, he really doesn't know what he wants to do about religion or about a belief in God. He said it affirmatively. He said that he thought that when it came of age, at 18, then the child could make its own decision. human being could make its own decision. Well, I, I, I must only come back to saying he certainly is entitled to his opinion that until 18, a child is incapable of recognizing God but the founders and the government of this country don't so believe because we use the words under God in our pledge to the flag for six-year-olds today. When they get to their social studies and in history, they're going to study the Declaration of Independence. They will, in the case of public assemblies, join in singing, Come Thou Almighty King. The child certainly can recognize that, and if Mr. Gerard's argument were to prevail, then we would have to literally rewrite history, as I suggested before. I, of course, join in the conclusion in my brief that we urge this court to affirm the lower court order, but Mr. Chairman has an intervening uh, thought to express. I don't want to be lost on that last thought. Mr. Chandler. <coughs> May it please the court. I represent a group of intervenor parents who came into the case very shortly after it started by intervention with the full rights of parties under the New York Civil Practice Act as persons specially and beneficially interested in upholding the determination here assailed. My clients, we've heard from my friend about the views of some religious faiths. My clients include three Jewish parents seven Protestant parents of five separate denominations, one person of no religious affiliation whatever, and five Catholics. Uh, when this case started, they had 37 children in the public schools. Rather the reverse of the Doremus situation, on the last count, my clients now have 41 children in the public schools. So there is no question of mootness here. Uh, the question, by the way, was asked of my opponent, or asked of Mr. Dacre, as to whether there was any question about the standing of these petitioners. We do not question the fact that any of them, that they are all taxpayers and they are all parents. Uh, the question of standing uh, in the complete absence of pocketbook injury and the question of standing in the absence of what we understood to be any objection to the prayer may be something else again, but that these petitioners, like my clients, are all taxpayers and parents is undisputed. <coughs> Why are my clients here at all? They are here in the name of free exercise of religion, if you want to put it that way. They are here because they feel very strongly that it is a deprivation of their children's right to a share in our national heritage 
and that it is a compulsory rewriting of our history in the fashion of George Orwell's 1984 to do what these petitioners are now seeking to do, namely to eliminate all reference to God from the whole fabric of our public life and of our public educational system. Is that a, is that a correct statement from our public life? Our public educational system, which is an you important mean, part of our public all tax-supported institutions. I said tax-supported, tax-supported institutions. Uh, Mr. Butler, at the start of his argument, used one phrase which I wish to criticize. He spoke about this being an attempt by the state to introduce religious practices into public schools. It is nothing of the sort. The attack here is from the other direction. It is an attempt to drive out of the public education system practices which are long established, venerated, and practiced without objection throughout the country from the very beginning. The practice of prayer in the public schools of New York, to be specific, goes back to 1837. According to figures cited in our brief, the practice of either prayer of some sort or another, or Bible reading, or hymn singing, or any two or three of them, is prevalent throughout the public schools of at least half the states of the Union. And as Mr. Dacre observed, 19 attorneys general have come in here with an amicus brief pointing out the wide repercussions which would be affected if my friend's position were to be adopted as the law. Chandler, is yes, there in your brief a reference to the history of prayers in New York public schools? As I have uh, already indicated, I'm a product of them. And yes, you are. There, there is, there, there we is. We have flag salute, I remember it vividly, but, but I think I'm quite clear that in my day, in my uh, public schools, uh, I'm not saying that that isn't elsewhere, but I'm just... Uh, there is some reference to it. Uh, I was speaking of schools in New York State, New York City. I know, here's what, here's what is done in New York City right now, Your Honor. As an opening exercise, a religious exercise, if you will, every day, in every public school in New York City, they sing the last stanza of America, which is a prayer and is intended and sung as such. In other sections of the state, uh, there are different, the last stanza, Our Father's God, to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light, protect us by thy might, great God, our King. That is as religious an exercise and as much of a prayer as anything here involved. And that is the practice in all the public schools in New York City. Uh, the basic question here is whether these petitioners have the right to impose their views on everyone else in the absence of any pocketbook injury to them, in the absence of any compulsion. I want to answer further than Mr. Dacre did and very squarely the Chief Justice's question. There has never been any question in this case of any compulsion from the start. The first resolution recited that the prayer should be given in the schools. Contemporaneous instructions, and the record is perfectly clear, contemporaneous instructions from the start 
to all teachers were that if any child objected, he should be, his objection should be respected. And his objection can take any one of several forms. He can ask to be excused from the room, which nobody has. He can remain silent in the room, seated. He can stand up and not say anything, so that there is no question particularly of his being marked out as different. And that, that practice has been so from the start. Where is that in Mr. Vitale's, as, as in Mr. Vitale's affidavit at page 27, oh, supplemented, uh, Mr. Vitale's no, affidavit, supplemented. There was no resolution of the board. There, there was no resolution of the board, but that was the practice. And there is no question that any, ch uh, there is no claim, no claim has ever been made that any child in this district was coerced or threatened or disciplined or told he would be disciplined from the very start. The board later adopted specific resolutions in response to the special terms request, but they stated at the time that what they were doing was merely confirmatory of their existing practice. So the question of compulsion, as I think Mr. Butler stated in his argument, is out of this case. The classes are about between 30 and 40, the size of the class? That I don't know uh, how, how the size of approximately. That's approximately right. Yes, sir. Is the opening of the class? This is at the opening of the class each day, along with the salute to the flag. Charles, could you come in? What? Charles might come in after the opening. Is that right? Uh, I think he could. Yes. Yes, he could be excused that way, too. Let me come to the question that Mr. Justice Whitaker raised about the flag salute. The flag salute in 1954 had the words, Under God added to it. And the question was asked whether that had a religious connotation or was a religious exercise. And I say unequivocally yes. And I say it on the authority of the House report which recommended those words. And Pledge of Allegiance is in almost every public school throughout the country. And this is why the words under God are recited by school children in that pledge. This is what the House Committee said. Our American government is founded on the concept of the individuality and the dignity of the human being. Underlying this concept is the belief that the human person is important because he was created by God and endowed by him with certain inalienable rights which no civil authority may usurp. The inclusion of God in our pledge would further acknowledge the dependence of our people and our government upon the moral directions of the Creator. And the question presented in this case is whether this group of petitioners have the right to outlaw from our whole public educational process anything which would suggest an acknowledgement of dependence of our people and our government and our school children upon the moral directions of the Creator. In this school, uh, has, the, uh, has the administration of these of this Separate schools or the school board made provision for children who don't want to recite the Pledge of Allegiance? Uh, I am told uh, that the question, I'm, I think, subject to correction, I'm told that the question has never arisen. The Jehovah's Witnesses haven't moved on to that part of Long Island yet. But uh, they would be. Uh, the Board of Regents has made it quite plain in their brief here that as a matter of public policy in the state of New York, uh, the principles of the Barnett case are and always have been applied, and that any child of a Jehovah's Witness who... Or any other child, any for other any reason. And there is a case. There is a case now pending in the Court of Appeals of New York. 
where the very same arguments that you've heard at this bar today on First Amendment grounds are being used to attack those words under God in the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, so that perhaps next term or the term after you will have that one before you. But that there is that that those words have a religious concept and that they were put in for a religious reason, it seems to me quite apparent from the statement I have just read.